Since the beginning of this calendar year, we've been examining the book of Hebrews. It's appropriate that it all comes to a head today on a day when I make my eighth annual report to the congregation. The advice of that chapter, uh, it will influence what I will say today, along with what I heard during Lent, what I heard during times of prayer and reading, what I heard from our spiritual deepening preacher, and what I heard from some of you. A more detailed report is in the report booklet in the lobby. I encourage you uh, to read the booklets so that you can understand the scope of the ministry of this church. This will help you pray, and it will give you opportunities to get more involved. And looking back over the last year, and perhaps a bit further than that, there are some realities that are shaping us. One is, we are a slightly smaller church than we were five years ago. While most of this is due, I'll fix it for me, man. It's good to have a helper. One reality is we're a slightly smaller church than we were five years ago. While most of this is due to people leaving the Connecticut area, there are some folks who have simply drifted away. Drifters are a primary concern of ours, especially if they are not leaving to attend a different church. In addition, this leaves the workforce stretched a bit thinner and makes it important for us to find more workers to accomplish the mission of Christ in this area. Connected to this reality is the fact that the level of our tithes and offerings is also lower than it was several years ago. I'm sure you watched the bulletin through the month of March and saw the financial deficit growing to the end of the church year. Nobody can continue to spend more than you take in. We must cut expenses in several areas so that we're able to live within our means. In order to avoid changes to our staffing and to make sure we have adequate resources to make, maintain our monthly expenses, we are changing our approach to the way we have subsidized several traditional ministries here. Ministries like the Advent Dinner, the Summer Picnics, the Coffee Bar, VBS, and others will not be subsidized at the same level that they have been in the past. We're not gonna be giving out gifts for Mother's Day or Father's Day, and we will be increasingly careful about the money we expend in auxiliary ministries. We're not cutting those ministries, we're simply not subsidizing them the way we have in the past. For example, last year as a congregation, we spent $2,500 on coffee for ourselves. We spent $2,000 on flowers and gifts. Every vacation Bible school and children's musical costs about $1,500. We need to find ways to recoup or pass along some of those costs. More of us need to donate for our morning coffee. Celebrate Recovery and other ministries will have to rely on their own funds to support their ministries. These aren't permanent changes, but modifications that will allow us to live within our budget at the present moment. At the same time, there are significant reasons to rejoice in the area of our finances. Last year at about this time, the church board and finance committee led us in a project to accelerate the payment of our church mortgage. This campaign has been wildly successful and blessed by God. By the end of the church year, 
we had paid an, an additional $226,000 on our mortgage in addition to our regular monthly mortgage payments, saving ourselves almost $40,000 in interest alone and making it highly likely that we will pay off our mortgage in full by the end of this current church year. That's extremely exciting. Currently, our indebtedness is close to about $170,000 on the building. For those of you who've been here for a long time and can remember the days of $3 million indebtedness, $170,000 doesn't look like a whole bunch. If we continue to make our monthly mortgage payment each month and manage to raise an additional $70,000 over tithes and offerings this year, we are in for a great celebration next spring. We praise God for the way he's been working in this area. As I have prayed for direction for the year ahead, I'm convinced that there are three areas we must give primary attention to in the next year. The first area is the area of communal prayer, praying together. I was greatly influenced by our Spiritual Deepening Week speaker as he called us to a new unity in prayer. I felt like the Holy Spirit was stirring my soul throughout that presentation. Though I don't know exactly what form this will take, I think we must increase in this area while continuing to support the community prayer events that we're already participating in. I think there will likely be a preaching focus on prayer in the coming year. I also anticipate creating a special offering of prayer for Pentecost. This won't be a monetary offering, but something more costly. You'll hear more about this next Sunday morning. The secondary we must focus in is enriching our fellowship. I think of part of praying together is staying and playing and speaking together. I think we need to invest more energy into getting to know one another and strengthening our ties to one another. I think this is more important than ever because of the transitional nature of life in Connecticut and the large number of families who are new here. We need to weave this fellowship more closely together so that we can actually support one another and go on mission together. We've spent all this time together in the book of Hebrews and when you get to the 13th chapter, the final words, the, the, the ending, the tying it all up together, after the grand finale of the sermon in chapter 12, you get these closing advices. These are important closing advices. And what does this chapter start out with? Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Not like childhood brothers and sisters, not like sibling rivalry, not like beating on your sister stuff. We're talking about the adult relationship that is possible between brothers and sisters, relatives, close family ties are in view here. This is a priority for the church of Jesus Christ. Being together isn't an optional, if we feel like it, kind of activity. It isn't supposed to feel like one choice among many for our weekend consideration. The fellowship of the body of Christ is a primary way we encourage one another to stay faithful to the mission of Christ. If we aren't faithful to one another, we will never be faithful to the mission. 
And don't pray for boldness to speak the word of God without an equal commitment to the health of the body of Christ. Otherwise, you're attempting to save people to a kingdom that isn't healthy itself. And who would want to join us if we're not the kind of church that Jesus Christ died to save? Witness and mission and fellowship and love for one another all go hand in hand and no peace works without all of it. In the annual report booklet, I talk about several ways we can weave this fellowship together more closely. We've had a good number of young adult visitors in recent days and somehow we need to get this group in contact together so that we can weave together a stronger support network for our young adults. We need a return to more informal game and activity nights which give folks a chance to sit around and talk. Conversation among ourselves is critical to the mission. We probably need a potluck dinner routine interspersed with picnics in the summer. We simply need more time to hang out together and share life together. Marriage enrichment is also on my mind. I'm thinking about quarterly meetings for couples to increase communication skills. Reigniting our women's and men's fellowship will also help us in this area. And incidentally, my friends Carmen and Caroline have some invitations for you today. And after the service, if you're specifically interested in women's ministry, they would love to talk to you about that. With the invitation comes the need for you two to wave your hands. Carmen, Caroline, she must have stepped out with something. She's, well, I saw her earlier this morning. We need to be together. Don't isolate. When you isolate, you are easy picking for the enemy. Together, we are strong. Church attendance is a primary means of being together. Folks who miss a lot of Sundays find increasing excuses not to be here, and our enemy always provides ready excuses. We need to push past those excuses to protect ourselves and our families. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen this pattern repeat itself. A person misses two or three weeks for some legitimate reason. The illness or whatever makes them tired, so they miss a couple of more Sundays, and then as soon as someone misses about four or five weeks, the enemy starts to say to them, aren't you embarrassed that you missed all those Sundays? Everyone has been wondering why you were so lazy. If you go this week, everyone will ask you where you've been, and you don't really have a good reason, do you? You should stay home and avoid the embarrassment. And so people do. Or, a family misses two or three Sundays due to an unforeseen circumstances. They can start to think to themselves that maybe they can afford to miss a Sunday a month and just catch up on their sleep. One Sunday a month becomes two, and then three, and before you know it, they're only here once a month, if it's convenient. And once summer hits, it's never convenient. And in a matter of a couple of months, their priorities have shifted, and the family is at risk. And all the rest of us, well, we don't want to appear judgmental, so we don't say anything. And this silence looms. We rarely call on those who are absent because we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable or embarrassed. 
I would strongly encourage you to resolve in your mind to reach out to all those you miss. And I would make one other advice. Rather than asking, where were you? Which is asking for an explanation and may make some feel as if you're judging them. I would say, I missed you. And it isn't the same when you're not present. Which is an expression of love and of importance because we really do need to be together and we really do need to express caring to one another. I'm not saying this because we're miserable at this. I just think we're inconsistent. Your gifts to Nancy and to me this past week are an example at how very, very good we do this from time to time. We felt very cared for during Nancy's first week past her surgery. We felt valued and appreciated and loved. And we need to make sure that everybody who's a part of the fellowship feels the same way in similar circumstances. That's what the Hebrews author means. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Your strength is in your togetherness and your link with this Jesus who provides all that we need and more. A third area of focus is the area of training. I recognize the need for at least two specific kind of leaders within our church. Leaders to direct particular ministries, women's, men's, nursing homes, etc., and leaders who can speak, and I mean give a devotional message in a variety of settings. I want to begin a training module to accomplish both of those objectives. That means in the year ahead, I'll be developing training for those who want to be able to speak, for example, at our Wednesdays with the wise meetings or our nursing home meetings or that sort of thing. And for those who might want to brush up on some leadership skills in order to be able to lead a particular ministry in the church. I've chosen as a theme verse this year, a verse from Jeremiah 18, verse six. Um, and you'll hear when you, and you'll understand when you hear this, the song that we've been singing. There's a picture that Jeremiah paints of a revelation of God to him for the nation of Israel, and how Israel is clay in the hands of a potter to be shaped according to the will of God. And through Jeremiah, God asked this question. This is the verse. Can I not do with you as this potter does declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Here's why I picked this verse. All the things that I've suggested ought to be emphases of ours in the coming year. All of them take time. Time is the most important commodity we have. How we spend our time shapes everything about us. We demonstrate what we value most by the way we spend our time. I've been thinking this week that maybe the words of scripture ought to be changed. Instead of having Jesus say, pick up your cross and follow me, it probably should read, hand me your Google calendar and your cell phone and then follow me. One of the central questions every Christian must answer is, will we allow God to shape our calendar? Will we place the priorities of the kingdom on our calendar? 
Do we really feel that we have an obligation to love one another, to express actively the emotion of caring, love one another in the kingdom of God? Do I really owe these people who are sitting around me anything? And if I do, why do I owe them something? Especially when many of them have never done anything to express an interest in my family. The truth of the kingdom is this. We are so indebted to Christ that we will spend the rest of our lives paying off that debt. And the way we pay off that debt is by loving God's children. That's the primary way we express love to God. We love the things that he loves and in doing that show our devotion to him. We love others because Jesus loved us. We love others because we need the discipline that comes from having to actively love others. It's not always easy, is it? We love others because they need to be loved by us. We love others because non-Christians need to see us expressing the love of Christ to others. Loving one another within the body of Christ is linked to every other aspect of our lives and witness and ministry. We're simply not the church of Jesus Christ unless we are expressing and exemplifying this love of Christ to those who are around us. Until we're ready to let him determine our time investments and our community commitments, no amount of training will result in new leaders. Until we're ready to let him determine our time investments and our community commitments, no amount of prayer will change our circumstances. That's why the summary in Hebrews 13 says, if you, if you read on down the chapter, it says, love one another, especially your brothers and sisters. Show hospitality, visit prisoners, value your marriage, cherish your spouse, avoid becoming preoccupied with money. All those advices there are tied to this central expression of loving one another well. That's how we do this thing. That's how the ministry of Christ is executed. Fortunately, verse five also gives us a reminder. We're not in this alone. God will never leave us or forsake us. He is here with us in the middle of the battle to love. Hebrews closes with these words. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't it interesting that this great benediction that we find here at the end of Hebrews doesn't say hey, I hope you're happy, doesn't say, I hope you have no difficulties in your life. I hope everything works out perfectly all the time. I hope you have no suffering. None of those things are in this. The, the big grand application and blessing of Hebrews, after we've looked at the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all of his majesty, 
after we've looked at our need of him, our need of a savior, after we've looked at our need for confidence in our future, the fact that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the fact that there's this new entryway to the Father through the veil, which is the body of Christ that's been torn asunder for us so that we have immediate access to the throne room of God, this opportunity we have to go with confidence into the throne room of God, even boldness into the throne room of God, to receive the mercy and grace we need to help us do what he's calling us to do. And then when we hear all the examples of those who did it, Hebrews 11 and 12, more examples of how to do it. And so when he gets done with all of that stuff, his prayer for you, his blessing for you is that may the God of peace, what does it say? Equip you with everything good for doing his will. Do you hear it? His big prayer is that you will get what you need to do the things he's just told you to do, which is love one another like brothers and sisters. Weave this fellowship together so that by our fellowship we can proclaim that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good which is the invitation to the world to find Jesus. Would you receive that kind of a benediction today? Would you be willing to receive a benediction that says, I'm willing to be equipped to do what is pleasing in your sight? Are you willing to be shaped by the potter's hand? That's the question I leave you with. And the one I'd invite you to consider. Father, we are grateful today that you are the potter, that we are the clay willing to be shaped by you. Help us, Jesus, to submit to you in all things and to open ourselves for the direction that you would send us. We might do all that you call us to do. And Father, we pray you would enrich our fellowship after this uh, service is concluded that your spirit would engage us around the tables, that you would nourish us with the food. We thank you for it. And we pray your special blessing on that time as well. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.